We're turning <clears throat> to the prophecy of Zephaniah. The prophecy of Zephaniah. If you want to go back from Matthew, it's the handiest way to get it. Uh, just go back there some, some verses. Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, and Zephaniah. And if you're going the other way, because I want you to get your place, and I want you to keep your Bible open, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Just tucked in there, uh, between Habakkuk and between Haggai, uh, sometimes it's not easy to pick up these uh, minor prophets. But I want you to open your Bible at the chapter 1, and I want you to keep your Bible open because we will not be turning out of this prophecy this morning, but we want you to pay strict attention to what the Word of God says to us. Let us just bow in a moment's prayer. Father, we bow before Thee now, and we thank Thee for the prayers that have been offered and the singing that we have been singing. Now, Lord, we come before Thee for, to hear from Thy precious Word. And, Lord, we are thirsty and hungry. We are needy. And we are in a needy hour. Oh, God, I pray that you'll touch these lips of clay this morning and that thou will speak. Speak, Lord, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The day of the Lord is mentioned 12 times one way or another in this first chapter of the prophecy of Zephaniah. So that makes this chapter, this message this morning, one of great urgency, one of great importance, and one that is a very timely message for the day in which we live in. Because the statement in the Scriptures, the day of the Lord, is a prophetic word. And it's embedded both deeply in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's regarding the Lord's return to the earth and the millennium reign and what follows on. It speaks of the day of God's wrath that's coming upon the world. The great tribulation period follows the day of the Lord. That's the period of seven years, according to my Bible, after the church is raptured and taken away. And I want you to make sure this morning, and I need to point this out to you, that you don't, we mustn't mix up the day of the Lord and the day of Christ. There are two different concepts. There are two different days altogether. And if you mix them up when you're reading and studying the Word of God, you'll get into great trouble. The two different days, the day of the Lord is to do with the world and to do with Israel. But the day of Christ is to do with the church. 
age in which we are now in, and which we have been in from the day of Pentecost. And the day of Christ will end at the rapture of the church. The day of Christ will end the moment that we are translated, airborne, transported into the presence of the Lord, which could be any day now. The day of Christ will end and immediately the day of the Lord will begin. And the day of the Lord will begin with wrath. And we know that from the word of God. That's when wrath kicks in and the seals and the vials of revelation are opened. When the six horsemen of the apocalypse rides in, in those days when there will be thunderings and earthquakes and lightnings and famines and fires and the earth shall tremble and the sun and the moon and the stars will refuse to shine. Now in the light of this shocking catastrophic event that's coming before us and coming very fast before us and we cannot read the word of God without realizing that the day of God's wrath is coming. We can, see, uh, we can see shocks of it now as we, as we go down into these last days of time. So in, the, in light of the shocking catastrophic events and catalytic events, God raised up, has raised up a prophet. And God always does that. He raises up a voice before he sends the wrath of God. And the voice that he has raised up here, the herald and the warning to the people, is Zephaniah. And Zephaniah comes with a threefold message in these three chapters. He has a threefold message, one to the nation, one to the church, and one to the world. And we, if you study this book of Zephaniah, you'll think that you're living in the days, you'll know that you're living in the days that you're living in now. So I want you to clasp your eyes on verse 1 of this chapter 1 of Zephaniah. The word of the Lord, which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amazariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, his son, of the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now I want you to just notice Josiah there because we'll be referring to that after. Now let me say this to you. It says here that the word of the Lord came unto Zephaniah. Do you know Zephaniah's name means hide yourself. And when you see this message that he has to preach, I tell you he would have needed to, hidden, to hide himself. And there's times that we preach messages that people don't like, and there's times we have to hide ourselves when we preach them. But the name God gives Zephaniah is God hides him. And God hides, hides him for this purpose and for this moment. The word of the Lord came upon him. He didn't come upon it. And I want to stress that in these days in which we live. He didn't come upon this word by trawling the internet or YouTube or some archives of old messages that he had, or flipping the Bible over some sermons of C.H. Spurgeon or John MacArthur. The word of the Lord came upon him and gripped him. And the word of the Lord needs to possess us. And it needs to grip us. And it needs to break us before it can be of any use to the congregation in which we're preaching. And so I want you to get that. The word of the Lord come upon him. Is it just fell as a mighty weight upon him. It so gripped him, it so scared him, it so fired him up that I believe that he shouted. 
Maybe I'm wrong, but he raised his voice. I believe that he, that he repeated himself. Look at verse 14. I want you to get your eyes on verse 14. Here's what he says now. He expands on the day of the Lord. He says, it's the great day of the Lord. It's near. It's near. And it hastes greatly. Can you see the repetition? This day, he says, it's near. It's near. It's hasting so quickly. It's coming upon us. He's excited about this in the sense that he's fearful of what he's seeing and what God is saying to him. That word hasteth, I traced it in the Bible a number of times. It says, as the eagle, as the eagle hasteth to the prey, swoops to the prey, and as the bird hasteth to the snare. And so you can see here that this man is all taken up with this message. In verse 15, look at verse 15. In verse 15, he gives us ten fallouts to this day of wrath. Now, you take heed this morning to what is coming. And if you're not saved this morning, you take extra heed to what is coming because you will be in the middle of this. In verse 15, he gives ten fallouts to what's going to happen. That day, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble, a day of distress, a day of wasteness, a day of desolation, a day of, a day of, of darkness, a day of gloominess, a day of, cl of, of clouds and thick darkness. And look, watch this. And the day of the trumpet and the alarm. I tell you, the trumpet is going to blow very soon. We're going to hear the voice of the trumpet. So he brings those things up. Now let me ask you this question this morning. If this great day of wrath is so near, if this day of wrath that we can see all around us is coming very soon, how much near are we not to the lifting out of the church? How much near are we this morning not to be raptured and taken out of this world because my Bible tells me, and I have preached it here for 34 years, my Bible tells me that the church will be raptured before the tribulation, and that's not my message this morning. But I tell you, my friend, it must be very near. The coming of the Lord must be very near, very near. Jesus talked about the birth pangs, the contraction pains coming near the end. Boy, we can see them everywhere. You can see them in every area of society, morally, spiritually, every other way. Look at the Middle East, look around you. No matter where you look this morning, in or out or wherever you go, or whatever paper you lift or whatever news you lift, you can see these birth pangs coming. Something's going to happen. The whole earth is groaning for release. And we're in dark and awful days and the church is asleep and God help us. God help us is all I can say. Now I want to show you this morning uh, from these few verses why the wrath of God is upon the world, upon the nation and upon the church and why it's very close. If you want to look at verse 17, you'll get the answer, but we need to elaborate on that. Verse 17, I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned. Because they have sinned. Sin, my friend, is the problem. Sin is the whole problem and always has been the problem and never will be the problem. And it's the problem with you and it's the problem with me this morning. Because they have sinned. Now what are we going to say about this this morning? What way has God led me regarding this this morning? But I suggest this to you, that the day of the Lord is similar to the days of Noah. 
I'm talking about the, but I'm not talking just about the day of the rapture. Now I'm talking about the day of the Lord. It's similar to the days of Noah. Zephaniah never heard the Lord saying, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. But seven years before it, he penned this. Look at verse 2. This is what he penned in verse 2. I, this is the word now that God has given. And he wonder he'll have to hide himself. He says, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume, I want you to get this, all things of the land. Now the land there doesn't refer to Judah or Israel or, or Palestine or the Jews. Now it does in many places, but it doesn't refer here. I want to say to you, if you look at the next verse, you will see that. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks and the wicked. And I will cut off man from off the land, says the Lord. The word there means cosmos. The word there means the earth or the soil. He's not talking about the land of Palestine or the land of Israel. I want you to get that into your head. He's talking about a, a destruction where three times he says in these verses that he will consume. That word consume means to annihilate. It means to cut off. It's a very serious word. It, mean, it means to sever. And here he says three times this message to this man. He says, I am going to wipe out. I am going to destroy the world. Now, he promised that he wouldn't do it with a flood. But he could do it with a fire. And according to Peter's second epistle, he's going to do it with a fire. For the world will be burnt up. It's going to be burnt up with fervent heat. And there's many nations in the world this morning and they can barbecue the world. They could wipe out the world. They consume the world if the Lord let them this morning. Especially, not, not so much, don't be afraid so much of the superpowers like America or China, but the rogue, rogue nations, the, 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 these, these evil and wicked boys, these axes of evils that they have called them, they, some of them have nuclear bombs and it could be, it might be very long till you see one in work. And by fire. Because look at verse 10. And it shall come to pass in that day, said the Lord, that there shall be the noise. That's the same word as Peter used. There shall be a noise of crying from the fish gate, and a howling from the second, and a great crashing from the hills. Howl ye inhabitants of Mictash. Those words say there's going to be a wailing, there's going to be a yelling, there's going to be a crashing, there's going to be a howling. Peter's word noise is hissing. A crackling thunderstorm. My friend, you don't have too far to look until you can see a nuclear bomb. And it says here at the fish gate, that's the Damascus gate. That's north of Jerusalem. That's where the great business center was. That's where the fish come in from the, from the Galilee and the Jordan. That's where the trade markets were. That's where the rich people lived. Maktesh, it says. That's, 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 that's where the wealthy lived, around that whole area. And Philip Harding, that brethren of brethren expositor, says that it was wide open. I tell you that October the 7th will be Mickey Mouse to this. 
It will be Mickey Mouse to it. Something's going to happen, and it's going to happen very soon. And it says in verse 11 that they'll cut off the silver and they'll cut off the gold. It's going to cut off the wealthy men and women. Suddenly, my friend, it will come upon them and they'll not know what has come upon them. And that's the awful thing about sin. It blinds and it darkens men and women. And you're sitting in this meeting this morning and you're not saved and you've heard the gospel from you're a child and you're on your way into the middle of this and you're on your way to the flames of hell and you don't care. Well, thank God some do care. Thank God your mother cares. Thank God your father cares. Thank God there's a church here that cares. We care. Because we believe this is the word of the living God. And we believe that every word that was prophesied here will come to pass. God's not a liar. And he doesn't raise up this young man from nothing. And he was a young man, as you'll hear before I finish. But not only do we see the global judgment across the world and the national judgment across the land of Israel and the royal judgment. Now, I want you to look at verse 8. You know, I was going to leave this out. I battled with this during the week because I might need to hide myself after this is over. But I battled with this all week as the Lord showed me these verses, burnt them into my heart in the early mornings. Verse 8. And it shall come to pass, I'm talking about royal judgment now. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all that are such as are clothed with strange apparel. The king, that's the house of Windsor. The king's children, that's the family. And in fact, this means to all leaders in authority. But the thing that struck me here is the word strange, clothing. And that word strange is the word adultery. It is the word outlandish. Now, why I emphasize these were the days of Josiah. Days of Josiah were days of revival, which you're going to see at the end. He prophesied in the days of Josiah. And in the days of Josiah, Sodomites were rife in the land. And I'm just wondering here, is this referring, is this referring to our land in which we live in this morning and our royalty and the house of Windsor? Because I can tell you the day of judgment is going to come upon the kings. What's the adulterous Prince Charles going to do then? What's the adulterous Prince Royal going to do then? What is immoral Andre going to do then? I'm asking you the question from the Word of God this morning. What will the Hindu Prime Minister do then? It'll not be enough for him and his wife and children to light candles at the door of Downing to keep the demons out. They need to go in and light a fire inside and put them out. We are not allowed to give out a gospel track card. We're not allowed to tell a sodomite that he needs to be saved and they can stand there and burn candles. 
Plus Mr. Tony Blair and Keir Starmer and that immoral crowd that met to celebrate uh, Peter Mandelson's wedding to a man that he's going with, he says, for 27 years there not so long ago and talked about it and boasted about it and laughed about it on the news. What, what are they going to do then? For the day of wrath is coming. And all they can say about that fellow Cameron when they brought him back in again. This, I don't preach politics here. But people say, oh, don't be touching. No, Yes, the word of God tells us that we must. We're living in days when sin needs to be addressed and when the wrath of God is coming upon nations and warn the people. All they can say is that fellow Cameron that they brought back in, the greatest thing of his nine or ten years was, the greatest thing that he ever done in nine years was within same-sex marriage. God help England. God help England. The greatest thing that he done in nine years and ten years. Oh, oh, he lost the Brexit. And he lost it. But the greatest thing that he done, they're all bumming and blowing. The greatest thing that he was in same-sex marriage. What's he going to do then? What's Harold Wilson and David Steele going to do then in 1967 that brought in the abortion act and 8 million people, 8, 8 million and 9 million maybe children have been killed in the mother's womb alive? What are they going to do then? And they weep and cry and shout and brace flags about, and I'm sorry for those dear children in, in Gaza. Of course I am. Oh, what hypocrisy. These are the days that we're living in. These are the days that, that the Lord says is coming and is coming upon the world and is coming upon the earth and is coming upon the churches, you see, and is coming very quickly. Quickly. That's what he says. It's near. It's near. It's near. It's coming. What are they going to do then? Not only global and national and royal, but the spiritual. Look at verse 4. I will also stretch out, and I tell you when God stretches out his hand, you, you, you go through the scriptures and read where he stretches out his hand, and I tell you serious business. I will stretch out my hand upon Judah. Ah, that's the church. That's the people of God. And upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that's Zion, that's where the temple is. And I, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place. If you want to go through that chapter, you'll get ten I wills. I'm saying that for a purpose. You'll get ten I wills. And when God says I will, he will. And listen, believer, this morning, turn it round the other way. When he says to you, I will never leave thee or forsake thee, he'll not leave thee or forsake thee. Don't you fear? But he says, I will. This is the will of the stretching out of the hand of wrath upon his people. The stretching out of his hand of wrath upon his people. Now watch the verse again. I will stretch out my hand upon Judah upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal, that's devil worship, from, from this place. Yes, that's from Jerusalem. And the name of the Chemerims with the priest, that word Chemerim was an idol, dressed in black, 
which the people of God were worshipping. And I'm not, I can't say much about that this morning for I haven't time. But look at verse 5. This is the verse I want to hit. And them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops. That was the sun and the moon and the star worship. They were offering horses for sacrifice and children for sacrifice to Moloch. This is the day now that we're talking about that the wrath of God is coming. Read it again. And them that worship the host of heaven, sun and the moon and the stars from the housetops. Now watch this, because here's hypocrisy at the highest order. And this is what God drove me to this message for this morning. This is the verse that he gave me. Watch it again. And them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops, and them that worship and that swear by the Lord Jehovah, and that swear by Malcolm, which was a priest, which was an idol, which they worshipped in the housetops of their houses. So what is it telling me here? It's telling me here that during the week they had their idols in their houses and they worshipped their idols. And on the Sabbath day they worshipped the Lord God of hosts. Blatant hypocrisy. You can't serve God and mammon. Do you hear that? God will not stand for the mixture. And he'll not stand for the mixture in your life as a Christian either. You take heed now. This is a dastardly act that they're doing. And I would think that it will bring the judgment of God upon the people more than the immorality and the infidelity and the idolatry. They were worshipping on one hand. They were the two-faced, two-timers, peeking out of each side of their mouth. Worshipping God out on the Sunday with a tie and a collar and a King James version, a holy Joe, as Ivan Thompson used to say, and a holy terror on Monday. Is that you? Hmm? That you? Now language comes out of you during the week's not good. Now temper towards the wife and the children's not good. Oh, yes. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, we love it. Mm-hmm. Well, the Lord sees it because it says here that you go through Jerusalem with a candle. If you want to read on those verses, he sees all that's going on. And we'll not fool him. This is two-facedness. This is deception. This is a hypocrisy of the highest order. What does James say in 3 and 16? I wish we knew James 3 and 16 as well as we know John 3 and 16. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. These things ought not to be. God hates duplicity. He hates double standards. He'd rather have a man one way or another. That's what he says in Revelation 3. I'd rather have you cold and dead than lukewarm. He'd rather have a sinner than a lukewarm Christian. Because at least he can work with the sinner. He hates duplicity and hypocrisy. 
but the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. I counted 21 times our Lord called the Pharisees and others hypocrites. You know, in Windsor Castle in England, there's, there's a big grand organ. It's the only organ that anybody ever knows of that has two keyboards on it. And the boy plays the organ, he plays the organ looking out onto the banqueting hall where they're dancing and carousing and drinking and partying. And then to save them turning around the organ whenever they're having a funeral, whenever they're having a, a service in the chapel, in the church, whenever they're doing a christening or something like that, there he turns, he goes to the other side of the organ, he covers the side, one side and goes to the other side. Boy, if I could get in there, I'd put a name on that organ. I tell you. Oh, what hypocrisy. What hypocrisy. Is that you this morning? I'm asking God to search your heart this morning because I'm not going to end my message like this. And thank God, God doesn't end the message like this. But I tell you this morning, we need to take heed because God hates hypocrisy. And you read through the word of God and take the like of Balaam, the greatest hypocrite that ever lived. He preached and prophesied for the God of Israel and then he, he, he mocked the God of Israel. He, he brought all sorts of cursings on the God of, of the people of God. Then, of course, there was, there was Judas Iscariot. I don't have to tell you about him. God hates hypocrisy. Do you know the greatest, one of the great hypocrisy scenes in the Bible came upon me lately, very fresh, from Jacob and Esau and Isaac. Now, take heed to what I'm going to say. Remember Jacob tried to bluff old Isaac when he was blind and he put on the, the skins of the animal skins because Jacob was a hairy man, Esau was a hairy man. And, and over the birthright and over greed and all the right, he put the skins on him, put the skins on his arms and he went in before old blind Isaac the father. And old blind blind put his hand through the, uh, he says, and here's what he said. By the hands of Esau, but the voice of Jacob. Ho, ho, he wasn't as foolish as you think. You see, when you stand here to sing, do you, do you see when we get up here to preach, your hands and your voice needs to coincide. You hear that? There's no use in me standing up here this morning if I have the hands of Esau and the voice of Jacob, I need to coincide. Friend, take that on board this morning. Preaching, singing, testifying, Sunday school. God needs to be able to look right through our hearts that we're not hypocrisies, hypocrites. We can't finish there. Zephaniah didn't finish there and Josiah didn't finish there. Because these were in the days of Josiah. You know about King Josiah? He was eight years when he came to the throne. He had an ungodly father, but he was from the stock of Hezekiah. He came to the throne at eight years of age. At 16 years, he began to seek the Lord. These were the days. 
At 16, he began to seek the Lord. 16-year-old. Tell me, you're, 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 you're supposed to be saved and you're 16, 17, 18. Did you seek the Lord this morning? Was this what you'd planned to live on? You can't live on this. And at 20, he started to reform the nation. 20 years of age. What did he do? He went in and he got these, the idols that we're talking about and he burnt them and he strewed them to powder and fired them in the fire. He, he burnt the idols. He cleansed the temple. He cut down the altars of Baal and the carved images. And here's what else he done. He tossed the houses of the Sodomites. He didn't go to the Sodomites and say, I don't agree with what you're doing. He sent word out to toss the houses of the Sodomites. These were the days of Josiah, and he purged and he cleansed. It wasn't a mighty revival, but I'll tell you, it was a reformation, a mighty reformation. And the greatest thing of all that Josiah did, and this is what I'm finishing with this morning, he sent Shaphan down into the temple and they were clearing out the temple and Shaphan came back to me and said, we, we, listen, listen, we have found a book. The book. Do you know whenever they told Josiah that they, they had found the book, he wept and he shook and he trembled. Oh God, he says, the book of the law. The book of Hezekiah, my great-great-grandfather. The book of David, the book of Solomon. Found the book. And he opened the book. What did he do when he opened the book? He prayed. Do you know what he did? He got the sacrifices back. He started off with the sacrifice. He went back to David. He went back to Solomon. He went back to the law. He even went back to Moses. He went back to the law. And he, he read in the law where God says, I will bless you. I will bless you. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, I will bless you if you obey me. Get the sacrifices back. Get the blood back. Get the cross back. Get the book back. Hallelujah. And that's what's wrong today. There's all sorts of Nonsense. I was telling people now, going out to gospel meetings, if you want to get saved, shake me by the left hand. <laughs> Wouldn't matter whether you shake them by the left hand or the right hand if the Holy Ghost is not working. Bring back the book, and he brought the book, and he got the book, and he started to cry, and he started to weep, and he started to reform, and mighty things happened. Revival struck the land. Two young men. Josiah, the king, and Zephaniah, the prophet, and a few others. Now turn to chapter 3. It'll not be long now. Turn to chapter 3 and verse 8. But I'm glad that it ends well. My friend, it's going to end well for the believer. Hallelujah. It's going to end well for the believer. And here's a wee word for somebody in chapter, eight, chapter 3 and verse 8. Therefore wait ye upon me. A wee word for you now this morning. Just you wait. Just wait on me, he says. 
I'll work things out. Oh, I'm not running around heaven wanting to know what to do in Gaza. Not a bit of him. He knows what he's going to do, and he knows when he's going to do it, and he knows how he's going to do it. And he knows how near it is, and he's the only one does do. He says, you wait on me. Now, for the sake of time, go to verse 8. Verse 11. Zephaniah 3 and verse 11. In that day, now we're back at the day again. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed. Let me stop a wee minute. Peter says there'll be those that will be ashamed that is coming. Oh, my friend, don't be ashamed that is coming. Don't let him find you ashamed of some sin and things in your life when he comes, for he's coming soon. He's on his way back. I read on here, see what it says. Not day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doing, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. Now here, here's thy wills again. <laughs> but there's more I wills than ten. And I want to emphasize that at the end. Yeah, this is the I will of blessing now. The others were the I will of wrath. What a God we have. He does abundantly, exceedingly above all that we can ask or think. Here's a whole plethora of I wills now. Watch, watch what he says. I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. Now watch this. The remnant of Israel. The remnant of Israel. There's a remnant left. And thank God there's a remnant this morning. Thank God God's, God has his people who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Thank God that has his praying people. Thank God he has his believing people. Thank God he has his holy people. Because here's a remnant. And the first thing you see about this remnant was that they were, they were humble. See that it says that? He says they were humble. Thou shalt no more, in verse 11, be haughty because of my holy mountain. They were humbled. God had a humble people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn. May we be humble people. But not only were the humble people, they were holy people. Look at verse 13. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, speak lies, no hypocrisy. Neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down and none shall make them afraid. You can't say that about Israel this morning. But they're going to say it, say it about them one day. And we can't say it about many of God's people. Can we say it about you this morning? You lie down in peace. You lie down in sins forgiven. You lie down resting on a sovereign God. You lie down on one who knows all things and will look after your family and your children and your finances. Will you for God's sake lie down in peace tonight? 
They were a humble people and they were a holy people. Ah, but look at verse 14. They were a happy people. What's this? <laughs> this is some change. God, I'll tell you, this whole thing is torn. Who turned it? Who turned it? Two young men. One a king who went about his work. And one a prophet who preached the word and brought back the book. That's who done it. And that's who will do it again. Look at what he says. Sing, O daughters. Shout, O daughters of it. Be glad. Rejoice. With all thy heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. It seems as if the prophet's full of praise, full of joy. The Lord's showing him this message. He's showing him what's going to happen. He's showing him what the end is going to be for the people of God. He's showing him what the end is going to be for the believer. Don't fear not this evening, this morning. Shout, rejoice with all your heart. Why? As I close, why were they a humble people and a holy people and a happy people? Well, look at verse 15. Yes, verse 15. Verse 17, rather. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. His presence is with them. Boy, I long for the presence of God to fall in the prayer meeting, fall in the morning meeting. Oh, the press. <laughs> that's, that's why they were singing. That's why they were humbled. That's why they were holy. I tell you, if you get a taste of the presence of the Lord, you'll not want to sin. You'll not be at the double deal. You'll not be peeking out of the both sides of your mouth. The presence of God. But then he goes on to say there's not only the presence of God in, in, in that verse 17. Verse 17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. That's the power of God. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. That's not us rejoicing over him and his work. That's him rejoicing over us. He will rest in his love. He will joy over it with singing. We have his pardon. We have his presence. We have his power. And we have his promise. The I wills. Now I want you sometime to count the I wills because you will count 16 I wills. There's only 10 in the last. 16 I wills are the promises of God to his people. I will save. I will save her that halteth. Listen, pray on for your daughter. Pray on for your son. Pray on for your mother. Pray on for your family. I will save. Be able to save to the uttermost. I will save. I will undo the burdens. He lifts the burdens. Oh boy, if we had time this morning to go on into this, I will gather those that were driven out. I will bring the backsliders back. Are you a backslider this morning? 
He says, come back. Oh, mighty, mighty God. Canceling everything out abundantly with the I wills of blessing. And here's what I want to leave you with. I want you to leave you with this word here. Verse 16, fear thou not. And that day he'll say to Jerusalem, verse 16, fear thou not. And to Zion, the church, the people of God, let not thine hands be slack. Don't be weak. That's what that means. Don't draw back. Don't give up. God forbid that we in this church would ever say, like many are saying today, with different doctrinal views across this province, I was talking to a man the other day, oh, now we're in the end time. Oh, ah, surely we are. I wonder, did he, does he just realize? We're in the end time. And God will do what he has to do. That's a damnable doctrine. If it's the doctrine of hyper-Calvinism, it's a damnable doctrine. Oh boy, you're in stronger. Am I? Because I see it all over the place. Oh, don't worry too much. Don't be getting excited and don't be getting excited about prayer and don't be getting excited about all this rapture business and, and all the rest. Just go on the way you're going. We can't change things. We can't do anything. Well, listen, I'm glad Zephaniah went on. And I'm glad that, I'm glad that, that Josiah went on. And I'm glad that man after man after man went on. I'm, I'm glad that Elijah went on. And Wesley went on. And Finney went on. And Moody went on. In wicked and dark days, they held on. They prayed. They preached. They praised God. I'm not giving up. I'm not going out to play golf. I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to go and cruise the seven seas. And many of God that have retired when they're 65, some of them when they're cruising around the world and the world going to hell. And they've left congregations fighting the bit out. Most of them never saw a soul all their days. Don't you start me this morning. Don't let your hands be slack. Don't give up. Don't go back. Don't get weak. Keep on. Keep on. Keep on. Victory's coming. Blessing's coming. Revival's coming. Well, I believe it. Glad one does. But I believe it. Keep on, my friend, keep on. Don't imbibe this terrible doctrine that's going on around the place. Giving comfort to men to sit back and do nothing. Give us a burden for souls and a vision for the lost. Let us see that the coming of the Lord draweth near. And whether you believe in the rapture or not, he's coming anyway. And whether he's coming, the day of the Lord is coming and it's upon us. What did you come out here this morning to see a reed shaking in the wind? What did you come out here this morning to hear some wee message? I'm glad that the Apostle Paul went on. I'm glad that the martyrs went on. And the covenanters went on. And the Anabaptists went on. I'm glad that they stood in the bravest. They stood in the great storms of life and trials and hell. And I'm glad that Jesus went on. For he said... Let us go hence into Gethsemane 
I'm glad he went to Gethsemane. Let us go hence to Gabbatha, where they stripped him and slew him. Let us go on to Golgotha, to the cross, to the nails, to the stripping, to the crown of thorns. Let us go on to the resurrection. Let us go on to the ascension. Let us go on to his glorious return. Don't double back this morning. Two young men, a couple of young men could turn Ulster upside down. Of a fire and power and anointing and filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't want to end up my days running around churches preaching to boys that have heard it all their days and all their life. That's why I don't take meetings. I want to go where the Holy Ghost is working. I want to go where there's hope. I want to go where there's young men and there's young women weeping and crying and howling between the porch and the altar and have this old book out on the sea in this old book. Oh, for the book. Thank God for the book. And thank God for the Holy King James Version too. But I have hope for the youth. I have hope for the land. I have hope for there's hope here. The day of the Lord is upon us. You've been very patient and thank you so much. But I don't make apologies for preaching the word. But may the Lord bless you. And may you not let your hands be slack. There's a school being built behind us. Whether you're interested, whether you have children or whether you haven't, your support would be great tomorrow night just to sit amongst us. This is of God. We have to do something to rescue the children for this damnable stuff that's going on. And it's happening here. Glory to God it is. And there's miracles happening here, let me tell you. Let us not slack on the children. Let us not slack in the Sunday school. Let us not slack in the children's meeting. Let us not slack in the barn, Robert. Don't slack in the missions, Robert. Keep preaching. For the best as yet to be. 211 in the course book. It'll come up before you. When Israel out of bondage came, a sea before them lay, the Lord reached down. The Lord, you know, the Lord comes. He doesn't come till we need him. Until we're bait, as the boy in Fermanagh says. I'm bait. And he'll come to Israel when they're bait. They're not bait yet. But he'll come. And he'll come to us. And he'll come to you. <laughs> if you acknowledge that you're done. <laughs> Boys, I had a lovely wee thought during the week. And I never thought it before, to be quite honest with you. I said to the Lord, without you, Lord, I can do nothing. And just like a flash, it came back to me and says, and the devil can do nothing without you either. Hallelujah. The devil can't do one with one finger, listen, without God's authority.